Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of humeral shaft fracture found under the orthopedic section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 72-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with left arm pain after tripping and falling on the sidewalk. She developed immediate pain throughout her arm. Radiographs of her left arm demonstrate a spiral midshaft humeral fracture. She is given appropriate analgesia and placed in a coaptation splint. Let's continue with an introduction to humeral shaft fracture. It is clinically defined as a fracture of the humeral shaft. In terms of the incidence, remember that this accounts for approximately 3% of all fractures, and there is an increasing incidence in the elderly. Demographically, it demonstrates a bimodal age distribution, with fragility fractures in the elderly and high-energy traumatic fractures in younger patients. Risk factors include osteoporosis. In terms of the etiology, it may be due to low-energy injuries in the elderly patients or high-energy injuries in younger patients. Let's discuss some normal anatomy. In terms of the bony anatomy, remember that the spiral groove, which is also known as the radial sulcus, is a shallow depression in the center of the lateral border of the humerus bone. Also remember that the humeral shaft is cylindrical centrally and becomes triangular distally. In terms of neurovascular anatomy, remember that the radial nerve and the deep brachial artery course along the spiral groove of the humerus. Conditions that are associated include radial nerve palsy and forearm injuries. Remember that combination of humeral shaft fracture and forearm fractures is termed a floating elbow. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include arm pain and weakness. On exam, a deformity may or may not be appreciated depending on the location and severity of the fracture. Neurovascular exam before and after reduction is critical to identify radial nerve palsy or deep brachial artery injury. Remember that radial nerve palsy, which is present in 5-10% to of cases, may result in the loss of wrist extension, which can present as a wrist drop. It may also result in the loss of metacarpophalangeal joint extension and thumb abduction and extension. In terms of further imaging, radiography is always indicated if a humeral shaft fracture is suspected. In terms of the findings, the fracture patterns can vary, but can include a spiral, transverse, or comminuted fracture. The fracture location may also vary, and it can be a proximal, mid-shaft, or distal fracture. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about distal humerus fracture, with distinguishing factors being that radiographs will demonstrate a fracture in the supracondylar, lateral condylar, or medial condylar zones of the distal humerus. Also think about a proximal humerus fracture, with distinguishing factors being that radiographs will demonstrate a fracture in the surgical neck or anatomic neck of the proximal humerus. Also remember that these fractures commonly injure the axillary nerve. This can affect deltoid muscle function and may result in a difficulty with arm abduction at the shoulder. In terms of treatment, non-operative options include a coaptation splint followed by functional bracing. This is indicated as most humeral shaft fractures can be treated conservatively. Operative options include open reduction and internal fixation. This is indicated for severe fractures, open fractures, vascular injuries requiring repair, brachial plexus injury, 
concomitant ipsilateral forearm fracture or a floating elbow, and compartment syndrome. Complications related to humeral shaft fractures include nonunion or malunion, as well as a radial nerve palsy or neuropraxia, but remember that most of these will resolve over three months of observation. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, favorable factors include low-energy injuries. Unfavorable factors include a delay in rehabilitation and high-energy injuries, as this increases the likelihood of neurotmesis, which is a complete nerve transection. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to humeral shaft fracture, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 22-year-old male presents to the emergency department after a motor vehicle accident. The patient is conscious and communicating with hospital personnel. He is in pain and covered in bruises and scrapes. The patient was the driver in a head-on motor vehicle collision. The patient's temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Pulse is 112 beats per minute. Blood pressure is 120 over 70. Respirations are 18 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. A full trauma assessment is being performed and is notable for zero out of five strength in the right upper extremity for extension of the wrist. The patient is stirred on IV fluids and morphine, and radiography is ordered. The patient has bilateral breath sounds, a normal S1 and S2, and no signs of JVD. His blood pressure 30 minutes later is 122 over 70. Which of the following fractures is most likely in this patient? And the answer choices are, choice one, humeral neck. Choice 2, midshaft humerus. Choice 3, supracondylar. Choice 4, ulnar. Or choice 5, radial. The best answer to this question is choice 2, midshaft humerus. This patient is presenting after significant trauma with an inability to extend the wrist suggesting a diagnosis of a midshaft humeral fracture. A midshaft humeral fracture typically occurs after significant trauma and can result in the damage of the radial nerve. The radial nerve innervates the posterior compartment of the arm and the forearm. Damage or impingement of this nerve can present with weakness of extension of the forearm, wrist, and fingers, depending on the location of the injury. It can also present with a loss of sensation over the dorsum of the distal forearm and lateral hand. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. A humeral neck fracture could cause damage to the axillary nerve. Patients will present with weakness upon abducting the arm with this injury. Choice 3. A supracondylar fracture could damage the median nerve if the damage is medial, or the ulnar nerve if the damage is lateral. Patients could present with deficits of the median nerve, such as loss of sensation or motor function of the lateral three digits, or ulnar nerve, such as loss of sensation or motor function of the medial two digits. Choice four, an ulnar fracture could represent a montasia fracture, which presents with the fracture of the ulna and dislocation of the radius. There will typically be a decreased range of motion of the forearm at the elbow. Choice five, 
A radial fracture could represent a Galeazzi fracture, which presents with fracture of the radius and subluxation of the distal radial ulnar joint. On presentation, there would be limited pronation and supination, and potentially an anterior interosseous nerve palsy. Finally, a bullet summary. A mid-shaft humeral fracture could damage the radial nerve and cause weakness of extension of the forearm and wrist. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 78-year-old woman is brought to the emergency department by her grandson after sustaining a fall. The grandson reports that the patient was walking into the living room when she tripped on a rug and landed on her right side. He denies witnessing convulsions or loss of consciousness. The patient did not hit her head nor have episodes of incontinence. She denies confusion, dizziness, chest pain, shortness of breath, or palpitations. She has a history of congestive heart failure. She takes lisinopril, carvedilol, spironolactone, and furosemide. On physical exam, the patient appears anxious and frail. She holds her right arm in internal rotation. There is bruising of the lateral aspect of her right upper extremity. Range of motion of the right shoulder is limited by pain. A plain radiograph is obtained, which demonstrates a proximal humerus fracture. Which of the following may also be seen on physical exam? And the answer choices are... Choice 1. Inability to abduct the arm. Choice 2. Loss of triceps reflex. Choice 3. Sensory deficit of the lateral forearm. Choice 4. Weak thumb opposition. Or choice 5. Wrist drop. The best answer to this question is, choice 1. Inability to abduct the arm. The patient is presenting with radiographic evidence of a humeral neck fracture following a fall, which can be complicated by an axillary nerve injury. Arm abduction is a motor deficit associated with injury to the axillary nerve. The most common injury associated with proximal humerus fractures, such as a humerus neck fracture, is axillary nerve damage. Arterial injury can also occur, but is much less common. The axillary nerve is responsible for the function of the deltoid. Injury can lead to the inability to abduct the arm at the shoulder. Additionally, Physical exam may reveal sensory deficits over the deltoid muscle or a flattened deltoid. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Loss of triceps reflex would occur with injury to the radial nerve. This may be seen with fracture to the midshaft of the humerus. Choice 3. Sensory deficit of the lateral forearm may occur with injury to the musculocutaneous nerve. Choice 4. Weak thumb opposition is associated with median nerve injury. Choice 5. Wrist drop or inability to extend the wrist is a sign of radial nerve injury. Finally, a bullet summary. Fracture of the humeral neck commonly injures the axillary nerve, which affects arm abduction at the shoulder. For the third question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 33-year-old man presents to the emergency department after a motor vehicle collision. The patient was an unrestrained driver in a head-on collision and sustained significant injuries to his left arm, which was outside of the window of the car. The patient complains of elbow pain and pain in his arm. He has no significant past medical history and takes no medications. 
His temperature is 98.7 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.1 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 123 over 82. Pulse is 88 beats per minute. Respirations are 15 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam reveals tenderness over the humerus and elbow with weakness of wrist extension. There is full, painless range of motion of the left upper extremity. Radiographs are performed, demonstrating a mid-shaft humeral fracture and a small, non-displaced fracture of the olecranon. The patient is transferred to the medical floor after he recovers. On hospital day 14, the patient notes he has a quote-unquote pins and needles sensation in his hand. There is numbness over his ring and little finger of his left hand and minor atrophy of the interossei of his left hand. Which of the following is the most likely etiology of his current presentation? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Compression at Guillain's Canal Choice 2. Compression at the Carpal Tunnel Choice 3. Nerve Root Compression Choice 4. Traumatic Elbow Injury Or Choice 5. Traumatic Humerus Injury The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Traumatic Elbow Injury This patient is presenting after a small, non-displaced fracture of the olecranon with delayed or tardy ulnar palsy given his paresthesias over his left ring and little finger and atrophy of his interossei in his left hand. It was likely his preceding trauma that injured the ulnar nerve, causing this presentation. Ulnar nerve injury commonly occurs at the elbow, usually due to compression of the ulnar nerve in the cubital tunnel. One notable presentation of ulnar nerve injury is tardy ulnar palsy, which presents after trauma, injury, or traction on the upper extremity, causing injury to the elbow. The initial presentation is typically not remarkable. However, a phenomenon known as tardy ulnar palsy usually presents within the ensuing weeks after the initial trauma. Patients will present with weakness of the interossei, weakness of opposition of the thumb, atrophy of the interossei, and clumsiness of the hand caused by weakness. There will also be weakness of grip and paresthesias of the little finger and the ulnar half of the ring finger. The initial treatment of this condition is generally conservative, with activity modification. Severe cases may be treated with surgical ulnar decompression or ulnar nerve transposition. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Compression at Guillain's canal or handlebar palsy occurs with continuous pressure of the ulnar nerve at the Guillain canal, commonly with cycling. It presents with more profound clawing and weakness of the hand, with loss of sensation of the little finger and ulnar half of the ring finger. Choice 2. Compression at the carpal tunnel would cause carpal tunnel syndrome, which presents with weakness and loss of sensation of the thumb, pointer finger, and middle finger due to compression of the median nerve. Atrophy of the thenar eminence may be present. Choice 3. Nerve root compression describes cervical reticulopathy that presents with weakness of the upper extremity and paresthesias, where the patient is weak or has paresthesias that depend on the nerve roots compressed. Changes in the position of the neck or compression of the neck while flexed may elicit an electrical sensation. The diagnosis can be confirmed with an MRI of the cervical spine. Choice 5. Traumatic humerus injury, such as the mid-shaft humeral fracture as in this patient, presents with a radial nerve palsy with weakness of extension of the forearm and wrist and loss of sensation along the posterior arm. Finally, a bullet summary. Tardy ulnar palsy presents after trauma to the elbow, causing delayed ulnar nerve dysfunction. That's all for this review 
about humeral shaft fracture. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.